0: Score a kick. And Celtic couldn't handle the word
1: on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Kale goes to spectacular. What about that? What about
0: that? Oh. Here's Aloisi from placing the world well in Paris. He's yeah! scored! Australia
2: have You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas.
0: Yes, hello again and welcome to episode 31 of Shim, Spider and So Much More. Mid-February, almost a year since the global pandemic started and the game of football in Australia, safe to say, looks rather different to February 2020, the last month, last year we had, in inverted commas, normal football. Uh, This week, the pandemic sadly returned with a vengeance again in Victoria. And, of course, the A-League and W-League is once again affected. So We'll assess the last 12 months and the implications of the latest outbreak in the company of Craig Moore today. Jelko Kalats is still on sabbatical following his departure from Zante. Hopefully, he'll be back next week. Later on in the show, our special guest is former Watford, Newcastle Jets, Wellington Phoenix, and Socceroos midfielder Richard Johnson. And we also want to thank you for your continued interest in this podcast. Our downloads are well up over the last month. And we want to continue to grow, so please tell your friends, your family, your cat, or else we'll get Maury to come and slide tackle you. Talking of which, uh, Maury, how are you, mate? What's new with you?
3: Mate, I'm well, and it's I'm it's, um, really, really pleased, uh, Simon, uh, that listeners are out there and enjoying uh, the content, and hopefully we continue to grow that. But, yeah, look, another, another week uh, of football, um, you know, Premiership in England. You'll be very, very happy with how that's headed. But also for me here in Scotland, Rangers uh, taking another step closer to a 55 titles, Simon.
0: Now, just on that, there is some talk in the Scottish press this week that Stephen Gerrard might leave Rangers in the summer if a big enough job were to become available. There is also some speculation in England this weekend that Jurgen Klopp might be on his way out of Liverpool that he might have had enough. Am I putting two and two together here and making five or not?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear the stories about Steven Gerrard uh, on the back of what he's uh, achieving this season with Rangers. He's done a phenomenal uh, job. Um, There was always speculation uh, in terms of Steven Gerrard returning to Liverpool. Um, I think going as far back as when Steven Gerrard and Jurgen Klopp both signed their contracts, their expiry date seemed to Uh, to to align Uh, but you're right Simon there's been some breaking news um, in England that we can touch on a little bit later that um, I'm sure will have um, the media um, going crazy in the next couple of days.
0: Very very interesting Uh, before all that let's uh, get into hard talk hard talk Hard Talk is brought to you by StreamGates, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business-level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. So Maury, uh, as we mentioned at the top, the pandemic unfortunately is back to bite the game. Both games in the A-League involving Victorian teams on Saturday called off with the latest outbreak. Uh, w league matches postponed as well and uh, you reckon Chiefs will be a little bit nervous that this is going to cascade into another raft of postponements. If this grows, do you reckon the hub arrangement is once again on on the agenda?
3: Yeah, look, it's it's been an absolute disaster. And I feel sorry for, obviously, the people in control of um, the the scheduling, um, you know, because that's been hit. Um, But with COVID and we know how how quickly it can kind of change. Simon, you really need to have a plan A, B, C and D, so potentially a hub scenario. um, That will definitely be part of uh, any planning um, for this particular uh, situation. Hopefully it's not the case because we know that the players um, struggled uh, with the the hub scenario, being away from families and and the toll that it took on them mentally. But um, you know, it probably is a real possibility, and would be in in the the, the plan that it could end up going that down that path. Unfortunately.
2: Mm
0: we'll wait and see how that develops over the next few days so we mentioned it's nearly a a year since the pandemic started a year ago this week i was actually commentating the matildas uh, qualifying for the olympic playoffs against china which seems an awful long time ago um where is the game at and this this is a question that could probably go on for about 35 minutes as an answer but but where are we at with football in australia as as we transition out of COVID?
2: (laughs)
3: <laughs> it's a tough question, isn't it? I mean what we've what we've seen um, has been so far very entertaining seasons with with the W League and, and the A League. Um you know the the product has been a I think a good product, Simon. I think mm-hmm. people have engaged and, and really liked what they've seen. Um unfortunately, like I says COVID in terms of the, the, the scheduling and the and the ongoing changes at a living breathing daily. Um, are not ideal, but it's it's a global pandemic, so I, I think we we can only do um, what we're able to do. Uh, for me, like I says, I think we've come out of it in a positive way in terms of I think Australia have handled it very well. The product that we've seen is, <clears throat> has been an entertaining product, and hopefully, Simon, moving forward, that will enable some uh, some significant investment in our game to be able to take it forward.
0: That's the key bits, isn't it? Um, hopefully that will eventuate over the next uh, few weeks. So one piece of good news, the FFA Cup returned this week with the qualifiers after it uh, was cancelled, of course, in 2020. And with the name of the uh, the new organisation now in place, um, whatever you think of, of Football Australia, uh, a new moniker, of course, is going to be needed for the competition. Uh, the Australia Cup has been mentioned, Maury, going, going back to the... The history of the game in the in the 1960s the, is that the name that finds favor with you or would you prefer something else
3: no i'm i'm, I'm quite happy i quite like uh, the australia uh, cup um that sits very well with me um, look it's a wonderful competition as we've seen uh you know in particular the history uh from england um and but it's great also you know within australia we like touching on the history of the game, Simon, uh, and, and the Australian Cup, I think, is a, is a good fit. I think it's been a, a tournament that has been extremely well-received uh, in Australia. I think it's been a huge success. So that's very, very good news.
0: Hmm. Okay, on to the action that uh, did happen on the pitch of the weekend. Uh, MacArthur finally getting their first win at home against Adelaide United. Pretty convincing it was too. A Matt Derbyshire hat-trick, uh, no less.
3: Yes. Well, Matt Derbyshire followed up from... Uh, a spectacular goal against Brisbane Raw um, in the last match with a 2-0 win and 4-0 and, and at home for the first win for MacArthur. Derbyshire gets a hat-trick. He could have got six Simon in this game. Um, you know, MacArthur were that dominant in this in this match. Adelaide have struggled of late uh, in the last few matches. Um, but again, an experienced striker knows how to how to put the ball in the back of the net. I also felt the that the introduction uh, later on in the match of Tommy or Simon was uh, another real positive. Um, Millsy, again, in the middle of the park. Uh, So a lot for MacArthur to be quite excited about in their last couple of matches, for sure.
0: Could they do a wondrous, Maury, and win the premiership at the first attempt?
3: I don't, Simon. I don't rule anything out. Um, And why not? Why not? You need a little bit of luck uh, in terms of your main main players staying fit and healthy and being on the field but um I wouldn't I wouldn't put it by um you know Macarthur and Ante Milicic and and the, and the team that he has there in place to to give it a, a real shape from what they've shown us already so far this season.
0: Mm. I uh, tend to agree I have to say um Adelaide as you mentioned in a little bit of a hole at the moment, they did have some defensive injury concerns at the weekend. Um, Craig Goodwin has joined them back on loan from al in Saudi Arabia. He could he could galvanise them potentially. Had a great uh, stint with them the last time he was in South Australia.
3: Yeah, and looking uh, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to Craig Goodwin, but um, you know, he, he done really, really well, and then he took his opportunity to to go and earn some coin and 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 hopefully, uh, you know, do well at that next level. But we know with craig coming back to, to adelaide we know how influential a player uh, he he can be in the a league oh, i think it's a really good addition for adelaide and you know some positivity uh, around about their their squad and uh, just trying to turn the turn the corner a little bit with their results they've got a they've got a good mix haven't they they have still got that young young squad the young emerging players that we know have got game time with a good bit of experience but they need to get some some results, and hmm. uh, hopefully, you know, Craig coming back, he'll be able to contribute to the Reds for sure.
0: Well, the Mariners don't seem to have any problems getting results. They're, they are the story of this A-League campaign. Two-nil winners over the Wellington Phoenix in their latest match. Uh, an early red card for David Ball um, yeah. certainly was a game-changer in that particular encounter, but even so... Um, I saw the bookies odds for, not that I'm a gambling man, Maury, but I saw the odds for this game between the Phoenix and the Mariners. And the Mariners were quite strong outsiders. And it just got me thinking, are we at the point yet where we're still not taking the Mariners seriously?
3: Well, the, the bookies certainly weren't uh, with whatever those generous odds uh, were, Simon. But I mean, look, the, the sending off uh, of of ball was a, a real game changer uh, in this particular match. But I'll tell you what, Central Coast, um, seen so many times when, when you play against 10 men that you don't move the ball quick enough, um, you're not shifting your opponent, and therefore, you're not really taking advantage of the extra man. But the Mariners did exactly that their, their ball circulation their you know, nice little triangles, intricate passing. They, they cut, cut open Wellington Phoenix on so many, so many occasions. I mean, even Nisbet, when he comes on, he, he has a great shot off the, off the, the post Um, really, really good for their win. Will the odds change in the future? People might start standing up and taking notice, Simon. We were, uh, or myself and Spider were quite harsh on Central Coast in terms of their previous seasons. And but like I says, I'm more than happy to eat my humble pie and I've been absolutely delighted for, for Central Coast Mariners and the way that they've performed so far this season.
0: Absolutely. They are flying at the moment. Uh, As are the Newcastle Jets to a certain extent. So they've got a good point in Brisbane, who have had a pretty miserable week losing to MacArthur at home as well. Uh, Jack Duncan, the the hero for Newcastle, some great saves. They're now four unbeaten. Craig Dean's in place as the head coach on a full-time basis. Things starting to uh, move on an upward curve for the Jets, Maury.
3: I think so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm delighted for Denzi to get the get the role. I think uh, you know the process. They would have you know went through a lot of a lot of work, but I think he's done a, a very good job. We've touched on how competitive Newcastle have been uh, so far in this season, even when they um, you know were on the wrong side of the result, and again showing some some real resilience and a good performance to get a, a, a you know a point against Brisbane Roar, who have been quite good this season. But it gives Newcastle as a football club now the opportunity to build under Craig Deans to to get some stability, which hopefully then Simon can entice um, some new owners to this football club.
0: That's uh, the most important thing of all. Uh, this podcast, of course, being been recorded before Tuesday night's uh, games, which include uh, Melbourne City against Sydney FC. Uh, we sort of touched upon this last week. City lost four of their first uh, six games, their latest defeat, uh, 1-0 to the Jets uh, last weekend, where they spurned a couple of opportunities. Um, I'm going to ask you again, are you worried about your pick for the title or is this just early season blues for the Blues?
3: No, no, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried. Mate. Like, I, just, I just remember when, when I come back in my second season or first season that, again, it was Central Coast Mariners that hit the ground running and were flying. And although we don't have a, a, a very long season in terms of the amount of games, you can't allow teams to, to get away from you. And Melbourne City haven't had a great start. And, you know, when you look at their players, you know, obviously, you know, with McLaren and, and Noon and Berrigan and, and Luna, they have real quality. Within their, their their team, but at the moment they're certainly not playing to the level um, that they need to be. Uh, and as far as now being uh, title winners, Simon, um, I, I can't I can't see I can see them changing and results starting to pick up a little bit. But I haven't seen enough. Uh, and the history tells us that apart from Sydney FC, you know your dominant dominant teams they're few and far between. And I mm. don't see Melbourne City being able to do what a Sydney FC done, for example
0: interesting of course finals football is is a completely different uh, measure but they've they've also got the asian champions league um if they get through the qualifiers this season as well which of course will test uh, their depth and uh, patty kisnobo is uh, the new head coach of that club um, sydney fc a couple of lines on them uh chris zovela unfortunately suffering a second acl uh, last week, facing another year on the sidelines, that's a devastating blow for a young player, isn't it? Mentally, as much as anything else.
3: It's a tough one. I mean, look, the ACL injury in in general is a is a year out of football. Um, so you know, mentally, having that separation from your from your team and, and and having to go through and do a lot of that rehab work yourself, it can be really really challenging. Um, a second time round, uh, certainly he'll know what what lies ahead of him, but. Devastating news, and and we certainly wish Chris Zavella the very, very best in his recovery. And I have no doubt he'll come back stronger um, and bigger and better for the experience. Uh, But nobody likes to see anybody with these long-term injuries.
0: Indeed. Um, And uh, the W League at the weekend produced a very surprising result at leichardt on sunday sydney fc who had won six out of six prior to their game against brisbane raw and they got thumped by four goals to one very big win that uh, for the brisbane roar um one more maury before we head off overseas a report in the sydney morning herald this week that uh, football australia director heather reed is facing a vote uh, over her future amid allegations that she tried to interfere with the election of Stefan Kamaz. Now, um, Stefan Kamaz, of course, was a big critic of, of how the Federation handled the sacking of Alan Stagic as, as Matilda's boss. So there's an extraordinary general meeting being called for this Friday. We should also say that Heather Reid uh, does vehemently deny those claims. Um, but all doesn't sound too well on that board. Uh, uh, politics, again, Rearing its its ugly head, and this is probably the last thing that the game needs at the moment. Not that I'm saying okay. it's right or wrong, you know what what is being proposed. But uh, yeah, it does seem to be history repeating itself over and over and over again, doesn't it?
3: Well, you've got to be you've got to be really careful, obviously, with what you can and cannot say with these particular situations. But mm. what we do know with Heather Reed is that um, you know through the the sacking of Alan Stadick's, there was uh, there was information that was reported on. Uh, that had her doing, let's say, um, the wrong things. Um, I think, you know, she came out and apologised for um, that particular situation. Uh, For me, when you hear of of, of a similar kind of scenario, uh, certainly, Simon, when you're looking for confidence within the game, uh, this does not give you a great deal of confidence. Um, Heather Reid has, unfortunately, been in a situation where, She'd done the wrong thing previously, so I understand the concerns. I want people involved in the game that I can trust and that know that are going to make the right decisions for the game and not for political clout.
0: We will see what uh, happens on Friday, and again, just to stress that Heathery does deny those claims, so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, comes out of that meeting on Friday. All right, uh, let's move overseas, London calling. London calling. Get moving towards your dream career with a specialist degree in sports, health, physical education or dance from the Australian College of Physical Education. At ACPE, we are 100 years strong, making us the provider of choice for higher education in these fields. Our industry partnerships, networks and state-of-the-art facility at Sydney Olympic Park ensure you have unrivaled access, learning and support throughout your degree. Head to acpe.edu.au to enrol today and start studying in March. Direct entry and fee help available. Well, Maury, we'll start off with a very troubling development again in football in the UK, racism in the sport rearing its ugly head. An Asian player abused during the Swansea against Manchester City FA Cup tie midweek. Uh, Online abuse again on the increase. Mikel Arteta has revealed he and his family have received threats, including some death threats. And there was a very, I don't know if you saw this, Dan Rowan from uh, the BBC did an interview with the Facebook content manager, a lady called Fadzai Majingira. Um, a wide-ranging interview about online abuse. Now, madsingira said ID for social media accounts are problematic. I think that's a cop-out. The government yeah. says it's going to change the law to make them more accountable, social media companies, including substantial fines, which is probably the only language they understand. But is ID, verifiable ID, the answer for everybody who wants a social media account or not?
3: Look, I definitely feel that in terms of the the, the social media side of things, it's gone to a, a, an absolute um, crazy level of, of uh, you know, faceless activity. You know, you, you've touched on, you know, and obviously, you know, Rashford's had it recently. Uh, we're, we're We're seeing and reading about this on a weekly basis and there needs to be action taken. Um, you know, I think that in terms of you know government support, you 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 need, um, but fines aren't enough, Simon. Mm. In my opinion, you know, it's more about that um, that again accountability. That how do you stop it? The way that you stop it is is people actually um, they, get, they get put in jail for this kind of thing. It's it's something that that should not be happening. It's something that you couldn't do face to face with people. Yet we have this ridiculous scenario. Of people being able to um, abuse people online that causes all sorts of troubles with mental health, and, and it's got to stop. Mm,
0: totally agree. And I think, again, just to uh, one more on this interview that went out, one of the reasons put forward uh, by Fadzai Mazingira to say that ID for social media accounts are problematic was that. Uh, people of lower socio economic class, particularly ethnic minorities, uh, don't always have an ID, particularly in third world countries. And I sort of accept that in many ways. But Facebook, Twitter, all those Instagram, <clears throat> all those social media, they are businesses. They make lots and lots of money out of those interactions. Now, if you're any sort of a business, even if you live in the third world, if you're selling apples and oranges... In a, in a street shop and somebody comes up and says, well, I haven't got any money because I'm poor or, you know, you're not going to give that for free, are you? That's not the way the world works. There has to be some sort of exchange mechanism. And at the moment, I think it's it's all one way in favour of the social media companies. They are earning all this money out of that that interaction that they provide the platform for, and there is no responsibility for them, none, absolutely none. And they're they're getting away with with murder, and people are suffering because of it. So, for me, I, I look, you know, if I want to be on a social media account, I'm quite happy to give my identity. If you want to buy a car, you've got to give your ID. You know, you've got to provide your driving license. If you want a passport, you've got to fill it out a load of forms you got to have a photograph that states your real name and where you live and everything else you know this is part of the social contract isn't it in society that that we all accept and if you want that privilege of being on social media then for me you should have to prove who you are as a person and i would have real names photographs and places of employment let me tell you that that's sort of similar to linkedin and the amount of abuse on LinkedIn is an awful lot less. Funny,
3: yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, and that's right. It's like it says, it, it does, it has to stop because we're talking about profiles, um, mm. but it, it, it's it's happening in our society with, with with people that don't have profiles that are going through the same issues that are getting this online abuse out. Unfortunately, Simon is leading to, um, you know, quite diabolical scenarios and people mm. taking their lives. And it's 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 not on and it has to stop.
0: Okay, uh, let's move on to the actual football. Uh, start with the FIFA Club World Cup before we get on to the Premier League. Uh, Bayern Munich, uh, champions of the world. They've they won the lots over the last 12 months. And yet Hansi Flick is not even the manager or the coach of the year.
3: I uh, don't, don't get, get you started on that. <laughs> <laughs> don't get you. But, mate, that's uh, six trophies. Uh, the yeah. last you know, six consecutive tro- trophies for, for Bayern Munich. Um, they, they In that time, I don't think Hansi Flick has actually lost six games uh, <laughs> no. so to win to win six trophies is is uh, is incredible Bayern munich um a huge huge powerhouse so congratulations to Bayern munich it was a tournament that again simon it doesn't probably generate the the interest and the and the the discussion that it should um but Bayern munich have won it to be the best club in the world must be a fantastic achievement
0: The man who is the World Coach of the Year at the moment is a certain Jurgen Klopp, um, and he is the subject of an awful lot of speculation at the moment, as we alluded to at the start of this podcast. Um, This is the stuff that is doing the social media rounds at the moment. Sources from inside Liverpool believe that Jurgen Klopp will resign in the next few days following a dressing room incident after the loss to Leicester City. At the weekend um one of the kit staff source protected and i quote this is not confirmed this is internet speculation but it's uh doing the rounds through a lot of people uh, and this source says and i quote "Klopp has lost the dressing room he just watched a fist fight between a couple of players before saying f this and walking out he didn't mm-hmm. travel back mm-hmm. with us is there smoke that's going to lead to fire, Maury, or is this just idle speculation on the back of what has been, to be fair, a very poor run for Liverpool?
3: Look, it has been a very, very poor run for Liverpool, but um, I do believe that there's um, there's a little bit more to this story. Um, you know, I think a couple of players, Allison and maybe Robertson, have been involved in a uh, a disagreement that ended up in a bit of a stoush, and you know, Klopp and 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 Henderson trying to to get in between things. Unfortunately, you know. Football has not been great for Liverpool in terms of their results. They're, they've seen the title slip away in the last few weeks, um, but mentally, obviously, uh, you know Klopp has gone through a lot recently with losing his mother mm. and not being able to get back for the funeral. So his headspace is obviously, um, you know, not in, in a great place. But this is this is going to be huge news uh, if it, if it is true in terms of. Um, you know, potentially Klopp not being involved over the next few weeks with Liverpool. Is it something that's going to be short-term? Is it a long-term problem? Um, so, expect to read and see a lot more on this subject over the coming days.
0: Certainly, the pressure is growing on both uh, him and Liverpool. And what on earth has happened to Allison over the last few weeks? Goodness me. Um yeah. Manchester United also slipping up, uh, surprisingly, only getting a point... Uh, from the trip to the Hawthorns, they remain unbeaten away from home, but uh, geez, you'd have expected them to get all three points from that
3: drop points. Because look, I mean, no disrespect to West Brom, but you look at those teams down there West Broms, Fulham, and Sheffield United, you're kind of expecting to go, and, and Man United's wayform has been terrific this season. So again, a, a, a lost opportunity, and your smile will be from, from ear to ear because Man City just keep going about their business and the, the so called chases. Um, mate, they're, they're dropping points left, right and centre so yeah, no, not a great day for Man United because they would have expected to take the, the three points there
0: Good weekend for Manchester City, as you mentioned, uh, defeating Spurs by three goals to nil. City now 14 clean sheets in 23 games, proving the old maxim that attack wins your matches, but defences wins your titles, which I'm sure you agree with, Maury. Um, but also Ilkay Gundogan again, two goals. He did pick up an injury in the game late on, which could be a concern for City. What a season he's having out of nowhere, really.
3: Yeah, and he's, uh, like I said, it is a concern that you mentioned. I think it was a groin issue that he looked mm. as if he was holding his groin when he went off, Simon. But um, has, hasn't he been excellent? I mean, obviously, we spoke about Foden last week, but, but we we touched on Gundogan, Ilkan Gundogan. And his timing of um, runs into the box, his awareness. And when he gets into those situations, he's, he's tight. Uh, you know, he keeps the ball really tight, and close to his body that gives a defender less of a chance, but also, uh, you know, he's creative. I think his first goal uh, against was a toe poke. So he's got that ability to, to be able to think on the run. Um, Hopefully he's not going to be out for too long. I don't know what you think, Simon, but I also feel that uh, Gabriel Jesus is starting to come onto a game and looking a lot sharper, Mm -hmm. looking at looking as if he's, he's able to get about that field uh, in a, in a far better way. And, showing some really, really nice touches. So this City team, what they're achieving at the moment on the back of at times, you know, no uh, De Bruyne and and Aguero, uh, they just keep stepping up to the plate, stepping up to the mark, and um, I can't see anybody catching them.
0: Seven points clear, and uh, with a game in hand on the rest as well, Manchester City. Um, Just on Spurs before we move on there, another team that's in a real hole at the moment and it would appear that there's a little bit of uh, a disagreement between Jose Mourinho and Gareth Bale he has been a massive disappointment hasn't he since arriving uh, back at White Hart Lane this is all on the back of a social media post that uh, Bale put up saying good session today this was on Tuesday with a picture of him training Um, Jose Mourinho contradicting him saying that the player had asked for a scan after missing training on Monday and there was and I quote a contradiction between his post and the reality Oh, that's only going to end one way, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not great, is it? And then there's been a little bit of a follow-up on that, Simon, as well that, um, you know, these bigger profile players and Bale is a, is a huge profile player. Maybe not always across, because I can tell you right now, it wasn't a tweet uh, or wasn't pushed by Gareth Bale. He'll have a team in place that do all that back-end marketing for him. And, you know, Jose Menino has come out recently saying, the people that have maybe done that—that—that's who those comments were kind of sort of like angled at. It wasn't mm. something that that Bale had, had, had said, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's come from his team. So he come on and and made a bit of an impact. Like there was one move in particular against uh, against City where mm. he kind of showed uh, glimpses of what he can do: tight control, left foot, right foot, gets a, a shooting opportunity. But they need to see him doing that more often, uh, and certainly for for Tottenham and Spurs. Um, they need him doing it on the field on a regular situation, week in, week out, scoring goals. That's the only way you're going to get the people talking less about you off the field and talking about the positivity on the field.
0: Interesting, isn't it? Uh, Joseph Mourinho does have a bit of a history of uh, falling out with some of his own players. He had a, a pop at Deli Alley, of course, earlier on in the season saying he was creating problems for his own team. Uh, and he does tend to have a bit of a shelf life, doesn't he, Jose? Anyway, interesting times, both at White Hart Lane and at Anfield. Final one before we move on to footballers' lives, Maury. Uh, on a more serious note, very real crisis starting to develop in England's semi-pro ranks. Uh, the National Leagues, which is the tier below the Football League, uh, asked to continue playing their games, even though the financial assistance, which was initially £10 million from lottery funds at the start of the season, has run out. And no more has has been forthcoming. The clubs have been encouraged to apply for Sport England loans or, or for grants, but the grants won't come through until March, which some of the clubs, including Dover Athletic, Curzon Ashton, are saying is too late, and, and they literally want to put their clubs into cold storage and say, look, you know, we're we're going to wrap up for the season and uh, and start again next year when hopefully COVID is over. This is really dangerous. Given the depth of football in England, uh, that you know, I know as an Englishman, we pride ourselves, and we have ninety-two professional clubs and uh, a few more uh, underneath the, the, the football league system. But some of them are yeah. very, very close to going to the wall.
3: And there's a lot. There's a lot, Simon. And the problem is that there also, you know, are, are a lot of clubs out there that still are finding themselves financially in in, in a position, uh, and that, that's not under. It's under stress, but it's not under breaking point stress. The, the problem that you're having here in in England and also Scotland here in terms of you know League One, League Two suspended, and um, will we start again, and what does that look like? It's the ongoing costs um, and the testing that mm. is required um, to to safely be able to get you know the players out on the field so that um, there's no impact or, or opportunity to to spread uh, COVID. So that is also playing a, a huge role, um, but. It, it certainly doesn't look as if it's going away, unfortunately. And I can totally understand for those clubs a, a, a near, near a breaking point to, to kind of say, well, okay, well, enough's enough. Let's, let's look to try and be proactive and, and plan for a still.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
3: A future rather than we're done, we're out, we can't do this anymore.
0: Okay, well, we are at our break point. Uh, We're going to move on to our final segment, and we've got another fascinating guest awaiting us in Footballers' Lives.
2: Footballers' Lives.
0: Well, our guest today was born in Kurri Kurri in northern New South Wales in 1974. After starting his footballing life with the Western Workers' Bears, he went overseas in 1991, beginning his senior career with Watford, where he was to stay for 12 years, racking up over 250 appearances and scoring 20 goals. After much shorter spells with Northampton, Colchester, Stoke City, Queens Park Rangers and MK Dons, He came home in 2005 to take part in the Newcastle Jets' inaugural season in the A-League before switching to the New Zealand Knights, and then Wellington Phoenix, where he ended his career in 2009. Despite such a solid career overseas, he won only the one cap for the Socceroos against the Czech Republic in 2000. These days, he is back in England with his beloved Watford, working as their business development manager, and it's a great pleasure to welcome Richard Johnson to the podcast. How are you, Richard? Thanks for your time today
2: yeah no problem at all it's um good to see you guys and yeah i'm very well thanks
0: um take us back to the beginning if you can richard uh, starting out in northern new south wales i believe you you wrote to uh, quite a few english clubs asking for trials
2: yeah so living living in northern new south wales my my father actually was um my mum and dad mum was from chorley and dad was from preston originally and they immigrated out in the 60s and um, my old man was part of western uh during the 70s when they had quite a successful and um sort of uh, team full of like scots english expats um and were very successful so i was always around football um but yeah i started started my junior career um at western bears and um was fortunate enough that sort of dad was my coach um but the the journey to sort of get to the UK, I suppose, started when I was around sort of 15, just nearly turning 16. And um, I made the New, uh, New South Wales Catholic colleges team. And um, I went on a tour of Argentina and Chile um, through that with the likes of Chichi Mendez and um, who, who else? Uh, John Crawley was a keeper. He ended up staying at um, Colo Colo after the tour. So I was quite fortunate, and then from there I went to, um, well, my mum and dad were spending Christmas with some family um, after the tour. So I flew from Argentina to the UK and I had trials with um, Liverpool and Middlesbrough. So Stevie Highway, I'm sure you'll know, um, he he picked us up, um, took us to Liverpool and I spent couple of weeks there. Um, I, I did all right, scored a, scored a couple of goals for the under in, a, in an under-16 game. Um, but things sort of didn't work out. They said that I had a sort of good engine and sort of ability-wise, I just wasn't above the level of what they already had. So I left there, went up to Middlesbrough for a month, and um, I got injured two weeks into a trial, so it didn't work out. So I ended up flying home after Christmas, And I went back to school and um, I wasn't very academic, I'll I'll let you know. So, um, (laughs) the old man just said, look, if if you want to go back, um, if you want to have a career in football, you need to get yourself back to the UK. So, at that time, when I went back, I signed for Newcastle Australs, which were sort of in the National League or the State League back then. And uh, Peter Dewhurst was the was the coach so we in the first end we had players like Ralphie Ralphie Meyer, Bobby Newmov, uh, Howard Trudenik they were still at the club so it was a it was a good good opportunity for me to sort of get playing at a, at a decent level in my side um, I had Troy Alpen, um, who, who I played with and Peter Dewurst, um obviously had connections over here so at the time we sort of um, got together and yeah, just approached a few clubs, wrote, wrote letters and um, got a trials, and he had a connection at Tottenham. Um, so I I basically flew over on my own at 16 and um, started out at Tottenham. Uh, I was there for probably about six, seven months. Um, at that time, they had two youth teams, and I was in sort of the B youth team with Uh, the likes of Sol Campbell, Danny Hill at the time, who went on and had a decent career. Uh, My coach was Patsy Holland, old West Ham winger, I'm sure people know. Uh, Patsy wanted to keep me, but the director of the academy at that time didn't think I was at that level. So I was fortunate enough that um, Tottenham got in touch with Watford, who at the time had Steve Perryman as manager. So Steve Perriman, yeah, they phoned him up. Steve Perriman said, yeah, we'll have a look at him. So I went to, I traveled to uh, Chabwell Heath, West Ham's training ground and uh, played an under 16 game uh, against those. And Kenny Jackett, who was a youth team coach at Watford, he said, yeah, well, I quite like like the look of you. Uh, So they offered me a scholarship, which was called YTS Youth Training Scheme back then. (laughs) Yeah. And uh yeah, I went went to Watford, finished finished the training scheme and ended up with a two-year pro deal after that. So
0: and, and you, you ended up staying, as as I mentioned in the intro, for twelve years. It, it was really just to become your your home, and of course it, it still is. Uh it, it is fair to say that Kenny Jacket and Graham Taylor in particular it became sort of father figures to you throughout your time in the UK. Yeah,
2: especially those early years. Ken, Kenny, especially. Um it, it was it was tough don't get me wrong it it was a tough school back then and um it it was hard but sort of leaving home so early you had to grow up quickly um but kenny sort of had a way of nurturing players and and could see things in you and looked after you and and the, the club as a whole has always had sort of a community family feel to it it's it's, it was massive like that, and that was what Graham Taylor put in place when he was there in those early years. Um, but, yeah, leading on to Graham Taylor, uh, later on in my career, um, sort of early on, and I, I was in and out of the team in the early 90s. I signed pro at 92. So those sort of early years, I was in that side, not really a regular, but Graham Taylor, when he came back for that second spell, he, he obviously saw something in me and gave me a bit of belief. and. Um, Personally, I, I, I probably owe my sort of career to Graham. Um, I, I got on, I got on so well with him, and um, he, he treated everybody with respect. But you had to own that. Um, he, he was a tough taskmaster. Don't get me wrong, but if you gave him a hundred percent, he he respected that and he looked after you. So, yeah, the Kenny, Kenny in my early years, a hundred percent gave me the. Sort of the belief and the the grounding, like more more real, tell you what it was like back then. It's, it's totally different now with the young players coming through academies and everything, to what it was back then. It it it, it was tough, but um, it gave me sort of good grounding and kept me in good stead for for later on in my career. That's for sure.
3: Jono, uh, 12 years, mate, to spend that at one club. I mean, I can I can vouch for that in terms of 12 years I spent at Rangers it's it's kind of something of the past isn't it mate we don't we don't really see that that loyalty now uh, and and the way that the business has gone to spend that really? length of time at one football club it's it's not in the game anymore is it
2: yeah nobody else wanted me more so i have to stay there <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, um, I, I don't know it, it just felt right to me um they looked after me when I was a kid, uh, even sort of living with, fam- you know, when you leave home, you've got to go in with families and yeah. living yeah. in digs away from home. I-, I was treated very well by the club, um, but it-, it just felt right. And um, went-, went through some ups and downs, of relegation, and then um, that second spell with Graham Taylor, we had a fantastic period where we had two promotions on the spin. Um, but just time goes so quick, mate. It, it's- it was incredible. But... Um, yeah, you're right in terms of loyalty nowadays, and I think deep down that money has has changed the game a lot. So it, you, you you don't really see that as much. Obviously, young kids coming through at a Manchester United or a Manchester City, like for you, Simon Phil Foden, I can see him being a, a one club man. Hope unless so. Unless he goes to, um, oh, he goes yeah. to a Barcelona, uh, Barcelona or mm. something like that, but I don't see him playing for another English club. Hmm. So I think times have changed, but yeah, for me personally, um, growing up in Western, um, small country town, sort of achieving, I was very proud of what I did. Um, So I I was quite happy. I I was never wanting or expecting um, privileges or anything else. Obviously, I wanted to better myself, but it just so happened that I, I did that at Watford.
0: Um, of course, the chairman of Watford for many years was was Elton John. You got any uh, stories? You have any nights out with uh, as a squad with with Elton?
2: <laughs> uh, I, I missed all them. Um, in in the uh, in the eighties when obviously Graham was there and they went from non league up to yeah. second in first division. Um, he had a big house on the Thames and he used to have summer parties, so he'd invite all the the whole the whole club basically to these summer parties and everything. But that stopped a couple of years just before I got uh. it, so I was, but, um, <laughs> that's probably a good uh, thing. Uh, one I yeah, probably. <laughs> I didn't much. I, I didn't need much uh, lead in Australia, that's for sure. No, um, uh, he. Um, yeah, he, his affinity with Watford and what he did with Graham was just. I don't ever think you'll see that replicated mm. again. But uh, he's a nice guy. I remember. He had a centenary dinner in 19, 1990, so or ninety one, it might have been, and um, we had a big do at the Hilton Hotel and everything. And because so I think he got married in Australia, didn't he? He got married briefly. To, you know,
0: he was married, yeah, and he yeah, did get married in Australia.
2: Yeah, he obviously took an interest in who was at the club and everything. So he sort of sat me down beside him at the table, and we were talking about Australia and things like that. So. He, he, he knew everything about the club and he was so supportive. Um, but he, he's not financially involved anymore, but I think he's been made sort of life honorary chairman or yeah. the director or something like that. But yeah, him and Graham Taylor sort of projected the club to what it is now.
0: Just on Graham Taylor, um, Richard, I, I worked with Graham during my days at ITV. Totally concur with what you're saying. Um, but one of the nicest... Uh, guys, uh, most genuine human beings you could ever wish to meet. Um, and, and I, I remember that the, the sticky got when he was England manager, which was way over the top and, and horribly yeah. unfair. But uh, Graham knew that that was part of the job. When he was at Watford, he had a reputation, rightly or wrongly, of being a long ball merchant. Long ball uh, Graham, I think they used to call him a long ball tailor. Is that fair? You played under him for many years, and you were in the midfield. So presumably, you'd, if that was true, you'd have spent the whole of your career with neckache watching the ball go over the top of you. But <laughs> clearly, that wasn't hundred percent true.
2: So, somebody said was well, Ivan, but no. <laughs> 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 but listen, that that sort of stigma stuck with him. Graham was very big on statistics so he knew what areas people had to be in to have the best chance to score a goal or to what area to put a ball into to create an opportunity so he, he was for me I'm not just saying it, but he could see things that were going to happen before it happened he, he was way way ahead of his time um, before all sports science and everything come in like that I know you talk about training methods and things like that and we used to do don't get me wrong, road runs, and we used to run a lot. Um, but in terms of sort of tactics and the way we played, um, yes, we, we could have been classed as direct, but he he gave everybody the opportunity to express themselves. We, we didn't have a specific way to, to play, so it wasn't just get it out to the right bat, hit it in the channel, everybody squeeze in. We had, we had some talented individuals, so especially through that second period where we had the promotions on the spin. Um, so my sort of midfield partner at the time who I had a great partnership with was Micah Hyde. He's one of the skillfulest players you, you've ever seen. And we sort of complemented each other. Um, but we, in those sort of four or five years, we played some good, good football. Um, yes, we were fit. Uh, we used to grind teams down, um, to be fair, and we had a lot of success at it. Uh, he, he didn't just tell us to launch it forward. That that was a perception that the public had because of what the media portrayed. Um so so no, i I don't I don't buy into that at all. Um uh,
0: I want to ask you about a couple of the, the biggest highlights during your years with Watford. Obviously Wembley nineteen ninety nine, uh, the playoff yep. final. You win two nil against Bolton in front of 70,000 that must have been pretty special and then uh, obviously you get promoted in the year after you're, you're playing in the Premier League uh and you you score three goals and two of them one one is against Liverpool and the second one is against Manchester United the latter at Old Trafford and I haven't seen it I must confess and I don't remember it but I'm sure you do but apparently it was pretty special
2: yeah it was quite far I had a bit of an up and down season to be fair we worked so hard to get there and um we were playing Liverpool away. About I think it was the third or fourth game in the season. Um, we ended up beating them one nil. Um, but I I went in for a tackle with Steven Gerrard, and he sort of his body weight fell on my left knee, and I did my medial um, ligament in my knee. So I, I was out for quite a while. Uh, so I missed a few games. So but that experience for me, walking out at Liverpool, um, listening to the the crowd, you know, you you. You'll never walk um singing the song, you'll never walk alone. And it was it was an incredible experience for me. Um, but the the Man United goal you're on about um sort of ties in nicely with the Aussie thing, I suppose. Because uh Bozza, Bozza was in goal. um <laughs> we, we we did all right to be fair. We were about 35 minutes into the game, it was nil-nil, and then literally five minutes before half time, they just kicked on another gear and they scored three goals so we were like 3-0 down at half time um but i think uh yeah the the ball got crossed over and i just sort of ran into the box and sort of caught it on the half volley or on the up and it left footed and it flew past Bozza on the sort of right hand side and um yeah it, it was a special moment my obviously my wife was at the game and for me growing up in western obviously watching all these sides on the telly and everything and because of the the big English um, and Scottish sort of influence around Northern New South Wales at the time. We used to have big FA Cup parties and it was the only time you could stay up after midnight because kickoff was around sort of two in the morning, wasn't it? So we used to watch everything on the thing and to go and actually play at those stadiums was just an unbelievable experience. But yeah, I've got some... Fond memories, and I think shortly after that, it was my first call up to the Aussie squad, and I was sat sat behind Bozza on the on the coach going to train on.
0: Did he <laughs> remind guy, you of it?
2: No, <laughs> no, he would
3: for sure, for sure, he would have <laughs> said to you, if it wasn't on that bus directly after the game, listen, son, I'll let you score that one. You know that
2: <laughs> he said I was lucky, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said I was lucky. Yeah.
3: Was that time, Jono, because you you were involved. I remember we had a two-game series against uh, Brazil in Australia.
2: Yeah, that, that was it, mate. That was the lead-up to that. So I, I was obviously just turned 26, I think, at the time. And um, I'd never really been in – well, I hadn't been involved before, but I'd heard later on in my career that uh, when Eddie Thompson was in charge that I think I got invited to a training camp up in Scotland or something. But Glenn Roder at the time, he was manager of Watford. Um, he he sort of turned it down, but I, I didn't even get to know about it. So I never knew. And uh, when Frank got in charge, um, he he got in touch with the club. Obviously, we were in the premiership by then. It was that season. So, yeah, that that was my first experience, mate, That that two-game series. Um,
0: Richard, we'll come on to your international career. I don't know, it was only brief uh, in a moment. I just yeah. want to ask you about one more question about the Premier League because, of course, you suffered a bad injury uh, in the Premier League game against Manchester United. I think you ended up needing a couple of operations and, and probably your knee was never quite the same again. Am I right in thinking that that also cost you the chance of a, of a big move as well to lead United?
2: Yeah, so... Uh... I think it was the third third last game of the season. We were playing Man United at home, and um, I, was, I was on the bench for that game. And I literally come on for the last three or four minutes of the game, basically. And uh, I just went up to block a ball. Somebody was sort of knocking the ball down the line, and I come down, and I just landed on a straight leg. Um, but I ruptured my cruciate, ruptured my lateral ligaments, and I did my cartilage. Um, and then basically I I went to see a surgeon up in Cambridge who had a decent reputation at the time Um, but after the operation it just was never getting any better I was struggling to get get fit and every time I ran the knee would swell up again but stupidly I kept going back to the same surgeon and um, he just said look it could be scar tissue so I had probably three more operations on it uh, just Keyhole surgeries to scrape the scar tissue away, but after a year, I, I was I was no better. Um, so, I think Viali was manager at the time, and um, he he basically sent me over to Rome um, to see his specialist. Um, but I was also talking to a surgeon, uh, Pincheski, on the North Shore. Yeah, he
3: done me as yeah. well. He's he's, he's, he's yeah.
2: absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So. So I, I went to see Pincheski was lecturing in, in Bruges. Um, so the club took me over to see him as well, and I got a couple of second opinions. And basically, what had happened was in the first operation, they, they used my patella tendon to create the new ligament, the new cruciate, and they'd um, put it in the wrong place. Oh. Um, so I'd been trying to get back fit for a whole year, and basically at the end of that year. I went back to see Pincheski, and he had to correct everything. But by then, I had screws and I had staples embedded in the bones and things like that. And um, but Pincheski, to be fair, he 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 corrected it. He used my hamstring for the second one, um, and I, I got a bit of sort of longevity out. But I was never the same um, mm-hmm. d- during that two years. I know players talk about sort of long-term injuries and the effects it had, and but mentally, it absolutely killed me. Um, being in the gym on your own, especially in and around the first team, managers don't really want injured players there because they can't use them and the, the yeah. influence they, they think they might have on the squad that are playing and stuff like that. So, it was um, that those two years were uh, yeah, a very lonely place. But, um, yeah, and it was hard.
3: Jono, Pinczeski was brilliant. He had such arrogance because I remember when I went back at um, uh, same after three failed operations and he was yeah. bagging those bloody pommy bastards they got no bloody idea what they're doing and um yeah. but he gave me a confidence that he could actually fix the problem which was something i hadn't i hadn't had but you touched he on did. you touched on mentally yeah. in terms of how tough that was and that separation from the squad and, and all those kind of things but with that type of injury mentally when you went back into games and you were playing how quickly you need to put that behind you and get through that. eh?
2: Yeah. Listen, my, my game anyway, was all about being physical. So flying into tackles and things like that. And I, I I was, I was a fit lad when I played, so it was all about running and um, everything like that. So I I didn't have any, any sort of fears going back into games about my physical aspect of the game, but it was, I just couldn't get up to the levels. Like because I was out for that two years and, I couldn't physically work my leg to the degree that I needed to. And I I had a lot of muscle wastage um, on on the outside of my leg um, because in the second operation, they used my hamstring. Um, They took a strand of my hamstring. I I sort of had niggly hamstring injuries and I I was just physically that side of it, not able to sort of keep up in games. And I I could see the picture. I knew where I had to be and getting getting to places. But... I physically just I struggled to sort of get there. i you know, the
0: I'm, I'm the same these days. It's called old age, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your brain knows where you want to go, but your body's not yeah. capable. Uh, sorry, I'm not trying to make light of it. It's it's obviously devastating when you when you see that your career is is obviously changing in such a yeah. fundamental way through no fault of your own. Um, it did give you the opportunity though to come back, uh, home to Australia to to play in the A League for, strangely enough, the Newcastle Jets, which of course is your, you know your hometown team if you like was that a bit special to play in front of your family and friends
2: yeah it it, it was to a degree um i think a- after the injury like you mentioned a few clubs where i'd played some of those were just on loan during my after mm-hmm. my knee injury to try and get a bit of fitness and stuff like that and then <clears throat> one of my biggest regrets was leaving watford when i did really it was 2003 I ended up leaving and the, the club had changed and I, I'd been out injured but that was actually um, they'd offered me a testimonial um, so so I could have stayed for another season and not played and got my testimonial but I'd been out for two years and I just wanted to play so I gave that up um, so I went up to Stoke for a little bit um, and then Kenny Jacket was at QPR with Ian Holloway um, so Kenny phoned me up and said look why don't you come here So I I went there, finished the season, played about four games, we ended up getting promoted. So the next season we were in the championship and I played about the first six games of that season. And um, then I was in and out of the team and I was just thinking like, what what am I doing? I've had had enough really. Um, So then that was when obviously the A-League had just sort of started up and um, made a few phone calls and um, yeah, ended up going back and I think, because I left so young as well, I, I don't think many people in Australia sort of knew who I was, and I, I wasn't that vocal on interviews or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't really do that sort of stuff or promote myself or anything like that. But um, yeah, it, it was quite special, and to be close to my family after being away for so many years. Because I know Maury will know about it. You do, you do miss out on so many special occasions. And, christmases and being away from family so at that time in my career it 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 was yeah it was nice to sort of be around the family yeah um
0: just ask you briefly about your international career uh one cap which I, i must admit when i when i read that this morning when i was looking at you know the questions to ask still sort of makes me scratch my head a little bit but i guess it was a different time. Was it a case of you being out of sight, out of mind? We spoke to James Holland on the podcast last week and he's playing at a very good level in Austria and he's not been involved with the national team in seven years. Um, I guess you can empathise with him in in some shape or form. Was there a particular reason why, you did, why your international career was so brief?
2: Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask sort of the managers at the time throughout my sort of career, but like I was sort of saying earlier I never really promoted myself um I don't think half of them knew I was an Aussie to be fair (laughs) so because I left so early um playing at Watford I signed pro in 92 in and out of teams I I was just sort of never thought of I suppose I never played sort of junior Aussie rep teams I played Hunter Valley uh state championships for northern New South Wales and that type of thing but um I never I never really got the opportunity. so um, and, but I, I didn't chase it either. Um, so I, I I was just doing what I did and if they wanted to come to me, yeah. listen mate that that was the proudest moment of my life putting that shirt on and yeah, um, I've only just recently got the, the actual cap. <laughs> oh, Is that right? I'm gonna go get it for. You. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
3: that's, that's, that's brilliant. absolutely brilliant.
2: <laughs> you got your cap, Maury?
3: Hey, I, I do have. Yeah, I've got, I've got the cap somewhere. Uh, um, so I got in,
2: got in touch um, with Mal in Piombardo, um, who yeah. was um, at, at the F, uh, FFA a little while ago, and yeah. Um, yeah. I got in touch with him. <laughs> oh, I love nice. it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, and, hey, but, um,
3: you're, you're touching on it though. Like in terms of back in the day. Um, monitoring of players was non-existent, so that yeah. awareness of, of the you know potential Australian players that have left early, it's, and it still kind of happens a, a little bit. Uh, yeah. Not not as much now, you know. A lot of players that have sort of like flown under the radar or left the country early, but disappointing yeah. thing to hear is some. I when I work with Glenn Roder at Newcastle as well, um, when yeah. your your country reaches out and that information. Is not then that, communicated to the player. How, how do you feel about it? How does that make you feel?
2: Yeah, not great to be honest with you, because obviously everybody wants to play international and rep- play international and represent their country at some point. Um, so that, that's what I heard. Um, I've never really had the chance to speak to Glenn about it, although he, he only bloody lives just down the road here somewhere. So I might okay. go and catch up with him. my knock his uh, door, mate. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it it was. But listen, it, it was just sort of timing, I suppose. Frank Frank gave me the opportunity, and then, literally, got involved with those uh, Brazil games, and then went over to the Czech Republic, and then and then I got injured. To be fair, and then I, I that, was, that was me sort of out for two years, so opportunity missed, I suppose. But listen, I I look back at that as a very proud moment. My mum and dad were at the Sydney. Um, olympic stadium for that first game and it was yeah it was awesome
0: awesome. well richard you got one more cap than i did so um (laughs) you played international football which is the important thing um, yeah. Just one more before we finish off with it, with a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, we mentioned now that you're you're the business development manager with, with Watford. I think that's your correct title. What what does that entail? And and the thing I like about the fact that you know Watford keep old players involved and value your contribution and make sure that there's a role for you once your playing days are over. I think that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, and. and- the club has always been sort of proactive with that type of thing, getting sort of ambassadors involved with the club, and because the club is based on the sort of community aspect, so the whole community was in involved with the sort of the club and growing. Taylor, right? as part of our contract when we were um, players, we had to do a minimum of six hours a week going into schools and things like that. And so that that was a, a real big focus. Um, but ha- how it came about? So basically, I, I come back. Um, in 2013, I think. Got got invited back to a game and then basically I, I used to go with Luther Blissett. Remember Luther? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so me and Luther used to do the sort of the match day hosting. Um, so on match days, we'd go and just meet and greet the supporters and staff, walk around the lounges and do Q&As and bits and pieces and then probably a, <clears throat> about 2014, maybe 15, they um, asked me to come back sort of full-time in a full-time role. So working on business development uh, with local businesses, trying to get involved with the club in, in terms of sponsorship or sort of uh, corporate hospitality and things like that. Um, so it, it sort of just went from there really, but it, it's been an eye-opener for me, to be honest with you, to see, to learn about behind the scenes, the commercial as- aspect of football clubs, how they function and how the money comes in and how everything's run behind the scenes. Because when you're a player, let's be honest, you you don't even think about that. You're you're in your own little bubble. Um, And for the likes of us now, when you get relegated from the Premier League, as a player, you don't really ever think about the effect of the staff at the club. Um, But I've learned both sides of of what it is now. So it's been fantastic for me um, to learn how clubs are run commercially um, so, yeah, it's been great. It's been great.
3: So, just quickly on that, Jono, how important is it for Watford to to be able to bounce back up? I mean, I know you're having a, a good season, um, sitting in, I think, his it's fourth position. Uh, but how important yeah. is it for Watford financially, commercially, to, to bounce back immediately?
2: Yeah, listen, I, I think for any club that <clears throat> sort of, especially... We were thinking we were an established Premier League club being in there for five years. You, you don't think it's going to end, but the Premier League is so tough. Um, so when you when you do come down, um, obviously, financial aspect of it, the wages nowadays for players is just astronomical. And um, the situation we find ourselves in with COVID has just been a double hit um, yeah. to the club. So we, we the, the squad we've got, we, we should be we should be bouncing straight back up anyway. Um, but yeah, you're right, it, it, it's massively important that you've seen with the likes of Leeds and the clubs that do go down, how long it can take to bounce back up. Mm. So without being a yo-yo club, you, you do want to sort of try and get back there as quickly as you can. So this sort of back end of the season is massive for us. Two
0: uh, two quitter, uh, quitter? Twitter questions <laughs> <laughs> to finish off with. Uh, first of all, this one from Ben Archer. You've played in just about every tier in English football. Which tier do you think A-League clubs would sit in? This is this is a question that's been asked for so many years, but no, it's an interesting question, one. It's yeah. a top
3: question because John has got a background where he's experienced a few yeah. different levels.
2: Yeah, it it's always difficult to to answer. Um individual ability of the players in the A-League is obviously growing and getting better. Um but the, the style of football, the conditions, it's a lot hotter there. The, the, the start it, it's, it's a little bit slower. Um, so, for me, I don't know, it's so tough to answer. I, I don't think they're at the level of the championship, but I no. think it would sit, sit between sort of League One and League Two. Um, but, listen, you, you've got to think, teams are, when I first went back for that uh, first year of the A-League, we we played 21 games for the season and boys are moaning that they were tired Like over here you played 21 games before it's bloody christmas <laughs> <laughs> that's true so the the sort of level of um sort of competitiveness i think is mm. is so so different um but yeah that, that's a tough one to answer to to be
0: honest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this final one, and this is our question of the week a uh, $100 meal voucher from Outback Steakhouse one of our great sponsors goes to Alex Butt, who asked this one, I love this one. Does the loster to Adamstown Rosebud in 1990 when playing for the Western Workers Bears still haunt you? D- does that game mean oh, well. anything to you? <laughs>
2: When was it? When I scored the bomb? I scored. <laughs> did I not score a goal and get to the final? We knocked them out of the league. I think.
0: I've no idea. You
2: know, I'll, I'll have to look that one up. I think I scored. They used to have a cricket pitch in the middle of um Rosebud Oval, and I think I scored one from about the halfway in that game. You right. Want to look that up?
0: Alex clearly believes that you lost that game. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> he, might, he, might, he might be right it might have been a different game but uh, <laughs> I remember scoring a good goal at Adamstown
0: okay brilliant hey Richard we'll leave it there because uh, we should let you go absolutely fantastic catching up great chats um, and some uh, terrific memories from your days with Watford and, and elsewhere as well really appreciate your time mate thank you yeah
2: you no John, worries. good to see you guys see you soon
0: That's Richard Johnson. That is us for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for another episode of Shim Spider and so much more next week. Until then, it's bye for now.